I turn, please, for a reading in the Psalms. First of all, Psalm number 88, and we'll read it, verse number 6. Thou hast led me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the deeps. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Look down to the end of the chapter of the psalm, sorry. Verse 14. O Lord, why castest thou off my soul? Why hidest thou thy face from me? I am afflicted and ready to die from my youth up. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. Thy fierce wrath goeth over me. Thy terrors have cut me off. They came round about me daily like water. They compassed me about together. Lover and friend, hast thou put far from me and mine acquaintance into darkness. And over to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 and well-known verses and verse number 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. <clears throat> now that's our reading. I want to spend the time tonight around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want tonight that everyone under the sound of the preaching, and myself included, would have something of a quiet reserve placed upon us. There's nothing in a meeting like this tonight that is routine. The only thing that might be routine about the meeting tonight is just the attendance and people who come out of routine, but not in God's reckoning. I want to spend the time tonight listening to two of the cries of Christ on the cross, two of them. I want to speak for some time at the start of my remarks about the cry of his terror, because that's the language of Psalm 88. That cry of distress that went out from the darkness at Calvary. And when we look at it, we realize two things. We realize that there was a load of sin that was mine. And the terror of the Christ of Calvary, it shows me this, that if I was to go out to eternity with sins unforgiven, the load of the judgment of God that would fall on me. I could never face it for a long eternity. I want to speak very openly now and quickly to those of you who are not saved. Some might come to a meeting like this. I don't know how you listen and perhaps even switch off early. But at least gather this up at the early part of the meeting that what God's Son bore on the cross at Calvary for our sin is the greatest exposure to the judgment of God against what was rightfully mine. 
That's what flooded over my heart before I was saved. Long to know what it was to put my head on the pillow at night and say the judgment, the torment and the fire, mine eyes shall never see. The one thing that haunted me every day and every time the gospel was preached around that time was this, that a long eternity lay ahead and my soul would go down forever underneath God's judgment. And I wasn't ready for it. And a long eternity couldn't exhaust it. Some reckless things are said by the public. We had an open-air meeting a number of years ago and poured it down. And after the preaching was done, or halfway through it, underneath the big oak tree, there we stood. And there was a man who was down at the, at the alleyway. And he shouted back up, complete opposition to the judgment of God, to the, to the gospel of God. And whenever one of our good brethren went down to speak to him, and tried tenderly to warn him. He said, my soul is for hell. And he says, there'll be plenty of company there. I want to say this, a man like that has no grasp at all of the dreadfulness of the judgment of God. It's a reality. It will never be exhausted. Come and stand beside the cross of Christ and listen to his voice of terror, Psalm 88. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Crying in the daytime, Psalm 22, in the night season, and I'm not silent. There's times in family life, and I'm speaking now to the parents, to those who are a wee bit older, and you'll know what this is like. Sometimes in the house, at night time, away about two or three in the morning, and it's happened to me in recent times, when one so precious to you, a little one, a child, there's a cry that comes out from the darkness of a bedroom. And of all the things that catch my heart, that's number one. Of all the things that stir me, that's number one. It's not the cry of just a child for attention. It's when the dream of a night a night terror comes over a child and there's a wail that goes up in the darkness. Those of you who are parents know what that's like. And there are things that wouldn't get you out of bed, but that gets you out of bed. That gets you out of bed. And you're over to place your hand on the child to settle them down. Do you know what has touched my heart as I've come down the road thinking of Ballyclare? The one that we are speaking about at Calvary. Psalm 22 says there was a cry that went up heavenward. There was one who lifted his voice and cried out. All heaven stood silent. What was it, O our God, led thee to give thy son, to yield thy well-beloved for us by sin undone? The angels at his birth sang, Glory to God on the highest, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Could have called 12 legions of angels. But Psalm 88 says that lover and friend hast thou put far from me and thine acquaintance into darkness. Those that were nearest and dearest on earth, when you see the fulfillment of this, in Luke's gospel, I think it's about verse 45 or so, 
it says the women from Galilee and his acquaintance, they stood afar off. There was an isolation in the suffering of Christ at Calvary that none of us who are saved in all eternity will ever understand. It was because our sins on him by God were laid. He who himself had never sinned for sinners sin was made. Let us get near again to the cross at Calvary and realize the load that he bare bore. The darkness. Nine o'clock in the morning, they crucified him. You children, carry this away with you tonight. You mightn't be able to carry much, but carry this, that when it came to nine in the morning, the time that you go to school, the Bible says that when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. Twelve o'clock midday, that's when the darkness fell at Calvary. That's when the whole place was clothed in darkness. Something that was supernatural over the whole land that God himself had organized. God placed a curtain over the whole sufferings of Christ at Calvary from noonday. Three o'clock in the afternoon when the children are coming home. That was the span, the six hours of the suffering of Christ on Calvary's cross. And the Bible writes over the whole suffering of Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, how precious are the words, perhaps to some of you tonight who are saved, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. What I'm trying to press tonight, and I want you to listen as best you can, it was no light thing for salvation to be provided. People put a cross around their neck. People go to the jewelry store and buy some cheap trinket and put a cross around them and some people get a tattoo on their skin with a cross on it. And I don't know what their thoughts and estimation are of all these things. But please know this, that when it come to the suffering of Christ on the cross at Calvary, Calvary was a dreadful place. If you were to go to the Old Testament and watch at the altar, at the tabernacle, the brazen altar, you might go and get a little model from the bookshop and build it together, and it all looks so clean. But there were gallons of blood that flowed on the altar, and there was a fire and smoke that went up that never went out. And if you were to come along and speak to one of those priests, one of those priests would say the altar is a dreadful place, and Calvary was a dreadful place. Oh, the suffering of Christ. What a load was thine to, the, to bear alone on that dark hour our sins and all their terror there, God's wrath and Satan's power. That's what God has done. If you've come to listen to the gospel tonight and it's a light thing for you, I want to say this, that heaven has never got over it. God in heaven has never got over it. The Lord Jesus Christ has never got over it. Scripture says, the wormwood and the gall, my soul has them still in remembrance. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, the terror, his cry on the cross. I want to speak for a moment or two about his cry of triumph. Because there came a day, a stage in the day, whenever, now listen to this from John 19. These words are very precious. Jesus 
knowing that all things were now accomplished. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. The one who was in Gethsemane and looked at the cup of the wrath of God that would be poured out upon him. The night before his suffering, garden of tears that never mortal could ever weep. The one who was fully able to assess all that would be poured out upon him was the same one whenever suffering for sin had come to its final conclusion and all of God's wrath against sin was laid on him. He was the one who knew the full estimate of it and he knew that it was all accomplished. It's an awful pity. It's an awful pity that some people come and take their place in a gospel meeting and they haven't realized that yet. Terrible shame that people come and take a place on a seat like this and spend their life frittering away time when they could be settled and saved by God's grace because they aren't prepared to realize this from God's word by faith that all that is needed to do and to pay that Jesus has done in his own blessed way. It's all finished. And all the uncertainty and all the gray and all the struggling and baggage of someone who wants to be saved and goes on chronically like that. It's not according to God's word. It marks the heart of unbelief. Oh, precious moment when a person with all their struggle and effort over prepared to look out from beyond themselves for salvation, is prepared to just grasp for the first time that it's all done. I know of a young man in recent times, and he had battled on for a fair while, wanting God's salvation. No credit to him either. And when it came to the bit, it wasn't extensive gospel preaching that he needed. It wasn't another series of meetings that he needed. But just with hands down and complete, Capitulation. He was glad to receive the truth that it's finished. It's all done. Here we rest in wonder viewing all our sins on Jesus led. I could tell the testimony here of everyone who's saved. Some will never get a chance to come up here. If you're not saved, take a look around you at those that have trusted Christ. Of all the things they worry about in life, and some of them have got plenty of things to worry about, they don't worry about the eternity of their soul. Not the slightest shadow or flicker of worry. And what settles them and roots them tonight as they sit under gospel preaching is where their soul was settled at the very start on Salvation's Day. Because on that day, they just were prepared to to bow their heart in thankfulness that all that was needed for their soul's salvation was righteously accomplished by Christ at Calvary. Great truth. I want you to think about three things <clears throat> just briefly, and these are precious to my heart. Whenever the Lord Jesus Christ cried, it is finished, listen for a moment. Whenever he cried, it is finished, he was at rest 
It says, he bowed his head and he dismissed his spirit. And after all the battle and the struggle at Calvary, for the first time that day, and in a sense for the first time for all his years, he was able to bow and rest. And he was able to rest. The Lord Jesus Christ was able to rest because his work was finished. It was accomplished. It was all done. Over. All that he anticipated was finished. I want you to think about this for a moment. That God in heaven was resting. That's a great truth. For the very first time, what God had looked forward to from all eternity, in all the confidence of that which would be accomplished, heaven was able to look down at that day as a great marker in all the eternity of God, and God was able to rest. And the reason why God rests is this, is because his justice is satisfied. Grand truth. Some who are not saved would hardly be interested in that. That's one of the disappointments of gospel preaching. Some of those things that are so precious and central to a soul's salvation are seemingly of least interest to those who, don't, who are out of Christ. I tell you this, if you're not saved before you are saved or before you're saved too long, you'll know this, that, that, that there's a great value in understanding that, that, that God in heaven is at rest. And, and, and God is satisfied. How do we know? Because the tomb is empty and the throne is filled. God raised him from among the dead and God has given him the highest place in glory. And whenever he came up, we were thinking about it this morning, whenever he came up and was, and was received into heaven, heaven got its very first look at sinless and holy humanity. And... And the one who was carried by Mary in her arms, wrapped in swaddling clothes, he stepped into heaven in authority, in the body of a man in glory, the very first one, first fruits from among the dead. And a father stepped forward in heaven, and a father said, Sit down, sit down, until I make thine enemies the footstool of thy feet. Christ is resting. His work is finished. God is resting because his justice has been satisfied. Sinners are resting or should rest. Sinners are resting who have trusted Christ because what they're able to rest on is this, that all the labor and all the work has been done by Christ long ago. It's the place of peace. Neath thy cross I stand and worship Suffering man, yet conquering God, gazing on thy death atonement, weary, I lay down my load. I'm conscious tonight that there are believers and they've lived a long time. And some of you, I want to speak now to those of you who are saved and have lived your lifetime. And you know yourself that peace with God is so precious. Rest for your soul. There's a man in Portadown, and I mentioned this lately one time, and he was in an old people's home, and his mind was starting to wander a bit. He was frail, 
a man that we leaned on a lot over the years, a believer, one who led the people of God. And in his weakness, at times, he started to wobble in his own spiritual security. One of the Christians were in speaking to him, got him on a good day, and they said to him, calling him by name John, they read to him about the great wonder of salvation, the value of the death of Christ. They got him close to the cross again. The man was warm. The soul was thrilled. Salvation's a reality. One of the nurses bustled in, and she didn't know that he had a better day, and she started to, to speak loudly into his ear, disturbed the man. It was an annoyance more than a help. And she said, he's very confused. She told him that as if he needed to hear it. And she said, he's very, where are you, John? And she persisted. Where are you, John? Just a disturbance. And my friend was there listening and watching it all. And the man eventually looked up and he said to her, I'm in Christ. I'm in Christ. And he said to her, once in Christ, in Christ forever. Thus the eternal covenant stands. Oh, the peace that is the portion of those who are prepared to rest on the work of Christ at Calvary. It's finished. Costly work. The cry of his terror. While I suffer thy terrors, I am distracted. The load of our sin. All laid on him. The cup drained. Salvation provided. It's a place of rest. Join us tonight and trust him as your saviour. Shall we pray? Our Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, and we thank Thee for that which is so precious to everyone who is saved, that anchor of their soul, sure and steadfast, entering into that within the veil. Thank Thee for one who has gone in and taken up his seat and taken up his offices too, and we give thanks to Thee for salvation, not only provided, but we thank Thee that we're kept by the power of God. And we pray for those that come routinely to these meetings on Lord's days at Ballyclare. And we thank thee for the prophet of thy word preached another time and pray that it might be used of thyself, winged home like an arrow in a sure place to the blessing and benefit of all who are gathered. We commit our way to thee in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.